Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 today. You might want to grab your Bible and be turning there, and I'll, we'll jump into that pretty quick. And I'm going to talk fast because I have a lot of ground to cover today and uh, not a lot of time to get it all done. But, but this is important stuff we're talking about today. We're talking about faith inflators and the fact that as your faith grows, the way your faith grows <clears throat> is through trust in Christ. Uh, intimacy with Christ really is predicated on trust in Christ. And we've been talking about these things that if you talk to people of great faith and you let them unpack for you a little bit what is going on in their world and what has gotten them to the place that they are, they are currently where they currently find themselves, what you hear over and over as they talk about their faith are, are pretty much at least five things, the five things we're highlighting anyway. And, and we've already covered some of these. Uh, practical teaching, you know, they got around somebody that was able to really teach them well. Um, providential relationships, they got around a person that, that made a, a huge impact in their life. And I told you a couple weeks ago about some of the people that have done that for me. Last week, Kyle talked about private disciplines. This week, we're talking about personal ministry, and next week, we'll wrap the whole thing up with a, a, a sermon on pivotal circumstances. Maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing, but something happened, and it changed the world for whoever it is that might be talking about their faith. You won't find these things listed in the Bible, necessarily. This isn't something that you can go out and do. This isn't a list. You can't go out and do pivotal circumstances. You can't necessarily go out and do providential relationships, but these are things that, that you can put yourself in environment sometimes. These are things that God uses to grow our faith, to pump it up, and make it big. And in the process of doing that, the goal on, on his part is to bring us to a place of great intimacy with him. That is what God wants from us. We talk a lot about a personal relationship with Christ. That whole thing is about faith and trust and intimacy. So um, if you were to tell me your faith story and you were to explain to me what God's done for you in your life and, and in your, you know, your reality and, and to increase your faith, you would probably tell me about one, if not all, of those five things. You would say, you know, these are the, this, these are the things that God's using in my world to, to, to teach me and to bring me closer to him. Um, you talk about somewhere that you were or you saw someone in need today specifically about personal ministry. You would talk about uh, being someplace and seeing a need or being someplace and hearing that someone needed something and you felt a nudging, you felt a tug on your heart, you felt this, uh, I'll use the word call. Uh, we typically apply that to preachers. doesn't have to necessarily be applied to preachers. You can hear a call of God on your life to say, you know, I think he wants me to be involved in this particular area. Um, you feel this nudge to get involved in something um, and, and that needs to be served or benefited in some way by, by your presence. And so, as you told your story, you'd say something like this. I didn't feel necessarily equipped for it. I didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing. I didn't feel like I was probably the best person even for the job. I just felt this, this uh, call on my life, or I felt this nudging of my, in my spirit. And, and, and um, you know, I, didn't, I, I knew it was possible that I could make a fool of myself. I mean, it's highly possible sometimes when you do ministry that you can make a fool of yourself. And... Um, you know, you get past all that and you say, whatever God's calling me to, I want to be a, a part of that thing. And you might say, well, I just felt like God was mudging, nudging, nudging me. He was nudging me to get involved. So as, uh, and so you did, and so your story, as you talked about it, is you would talk about how scared you were. You would talk about how unprepared you felt and how 
uh, when you got involved, you saw God do some amazing, amazing things in your world. And so today I want to talk about that a little bit with the tension and the fear that we all have. And some of you may, uh, maybe many of you are going through a tug of war, maybe even in your minds and your spirits right now, where you can kind of sense God is pushing you towards something. You can sense that, that God is, is calling you to a specific area of ministry or a specific thing, and you're thinking to yourself, well, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, but God keeps bringing it back to your mind and your heart, and over and over again as it relates to a certain group of people or a ministry um, or uh, maybe something in this church that God's calling you to. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. The issue in that wrestling match that you are experiencing is, is not just a particular group of people who need your help. The issue is not a specific ministry that needs more help in it or, or your influence necessarily. The issue isn't just that group of people. The issue is bigger than that. The issue is that maybe God wants to do something in you. It may have nothing to do with the ministry. It may be that, that your input into that ministry isn't going to be all that helpful at all. It may be that God wants to get you involved in something, somewhere, that he's laid on your heart and he's saying, look, you, this matters to you. This is kind of bugging you. You've got some gifts for this. You're not sure you can do it all. But I want you to get involved, God would say. And the reason I want you to get involved is because I want to teach you some things and I want to show you um, what I want to do in your life and in your, uh, your faith. So... Uh, what I want you to understand today is that, that that is a faith issue, that God wants to exhaust a faith muscle. He wants to break down our faith muscles and work them out. When you build up muscles in your body, the way that happens is you break the, the muscles down and then they heal up and they're bigger. That's kind of what God wants to do in you. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. In the middle of this story, Jesus is going to make a statement and it describes uh, better than anything else in the New Testament the issue that all of us will wrestle with at some point in our faith journey or have wrestled with as it relates to this issue of getting outside of our comfort zone, getting past ourselves, getting over ourselves, whatever you want to put it, and serving God in a way that makes us, can make us, very uncomfortable. And I hear my microphone making noises. Is that, do you hear that? I'm going to have to sit really still, I guess. So let's get to our story this morning. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now what Jesus has just heard that has happened is that his cousin John has been put to death by Herod. Uh, Herod uh, had a, arrested John because John kept preaching against his marriage. Herod's marriage was to his sister, which was uh, not right and illegal and not proper. And so the problem that John had is that, problem Herod had with John is that John kept using this as sermon illustration fodder. He kept preaching about um, this marriage that Herod had going on and, and uh, that God didn't like it. And so eventually, uh, Herod has John arrested. And uh, over time, it comes to the point where he has him beheaded. And so this was Jesus' cousin. And he'd heard about this, and he loved his cousin very much. So he went away to be by himself. He's going to mourn the death of his cousin. He's, he's, he wants to be by himself a little bit. Um, but it didn't work out too well because what we find out in the middle of verse 13, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So they hear that Jesus is heading off by himself and uh, they all just walk around the edge of the, the water there and um, they find Jesus because he may be in mourning, but we need stuff. You know, he may be in mourning, he may be having trouble, but we need, we need, we want we, we want, and so they, they track Jesus down, so they go looking for Jesus. Verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them 
and healed their sick. One of the things I want to say to you about miracles is that when, whenever you see Jesus doing any kind of miracle, the motive is always love. The motive is always love. It's the love that Jesus had for people. Later on, we're going to see that the, it was the love that Jesus had for his disciples and for the church that is going to prompt him to do some miracles. But it's always driven by love. As evening approached, the disciples came to him, this is verse 15, and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So these people have walked all day to be with Jesus and, and they, they're, now they're with Jesus and he's healing them and probably the disciples, you know, it's probably not that the disciples are so worried about the, the people who are hungry. It's probably the disciples hear some, some rumblings in their stomach and they're thinking, you know, I'm getting kind of hungry. So Jesus the people are probably hungry. Let's send them off so they can get something to eat. You know, it's probably not what's going on at all. They're probably thinking, look, these guys are hungry, and we are too. So this would be a great time to send them away because we want to go get something to eat. And this is where the story gets really rich as it relates to your experience and to mine. Verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, they're out in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus says, I recognize that they're hungry, and I recognize that we are out in the middle of nowhere, and that they need to eat. But guys, they don't need to go anywhere. You feed them. You feed them. Now, this is the tension that as a Christian, if you're not facing it now, at some point in your life, you are going to face this tension. It's a tension that you sense when someone has a need that needs to be met and you know it and you could meet it and God says, hey, I want you to do that. It's a tension you feel when you look at our youth pastor and you see that he's overwhelmed and you think, you know, I could help. And Jesus says, I want you to do that. It's a tension when you walk past Ark Park and you see a bunch of little kids in there and you think, you know, I used to do that and I could do that. And God says, I want you to do that. And there's a tension there. That's the tension we're talking about. You're sensing a need, you feel this nudge, and God is saying to you, you meet it. You, you meet that need. And your reaction might be similar to mine when I was being called into ministry, and even still from time to time when God is putting something on me and saying, hey, I want you to do that. And I'm thinking, God, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want you to do that. Okay. And then I do it, and, and it's amazing what happens in my spirit and what happens in my faith as God rewards, I don't know what word you want to use there, but as he deepens my faith as a result of something that I felt called maybe to do but didn't kind of want to do, and yet I did it, and then God says, see, I told you if you would just do that, I'm looking out for you. I'm just, I'm going to take care of you. And yet we, we push back and we, we, we resist that nudge from time to time because what we say is, no, 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 I don't meet needs. That's not what I do. I pray for needs. You know, I don't really ever meet a need. I just, when I come, become aware of a need, I just pray about it and pray for those people who are going to meet those needs. And God says, no, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. I don't want you to pray for somebody else to do it. This is something that I want you to be involved in. You say, oh, no, but God, I'm just a prayer warrior. You know, I, I don't really do that. I'm the one that prays for people. And you're aware of what you don't know, and you're aware that you aren't trained, and you're aware of the fact that you really don't have time. You know all that. And there will be a point in your Christian journey 
Uh, and, and you're going to have something on the inside of you. It, it's, you know, it's not necessarily a voice. I don't know what it is, but it's this, just this thing in you. And God's saying, okay, I want you to get involved in that, and I want you to help meet that need. The disciples do what we would do in circumstances like that, and what you've maybe done and what I've done from time to time. They offer excuses. Listen to this, verse 17. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. In other words, we can't do it. We're not, <clears throat> we're not prepared. We're not equipped. You, Jesus, you've got the wrong guys. We, we don't have enough. We can't do this. Verse 18, Jesus says, <laughs> bring them here to me. As, as a spouse, have you ever done this to your spouse or has, have they ever done it to you where you're trying to figure something out and they know how to figure it out and they go, just bring it here. Has that ever happened? That's kind of the way I read that. Bring them here to me. You can almost hear Jesus. Just bring them here. Now, let me show you how this is going to happen. I think Jesus says this to all of us. Just bring to me what you have. You know, I didn't, Jesus, I didn't even finish college. Well, how much, how much college do you have? Two years? Then bring me two years. Well, Jesus, you know, I hardly know my Bible. Well, how much Bible do you know? A couple of verses? Bring me those couple of verses. Well, Jesus, I don't have time to do that. Well, how much time do you have? Well, I got, you know, I got a little time on Tuesday afternoon. Bring me that Tuesday afternoon. Well, what if they ask me a hard question? Jesus says, you know what? Just answer the questions you know. You, you don't have to know it all. You don't have to be it all. Listen, if you've got to know it all and be it all, I can't be a pastor because I I, I'm so in over my head. There's so much stuff I don't know. And there are days that I've got you so buffaloed that I know so much more than I know that if you ask me the right question, I'd you know, scratch my head, scratch my nail. I don't know. I mean, if I've got to know it all to do this job, I can't do this job. And if you're waiting for you to know everything to be able to fulfill a specific ministry role, then there's no way you're ever going to step into it because God does not expect you to know it all. God says, what do you know? Give me what you know, step into it, and I'm going to do everything else. But God, I don't have enough experience. Well, how much experience do you have? This little bit. Then you bring me that little bit, Jesus would say. Bring me what you have. So they do. Verse 19. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves, then gave them to the disciples. Now imagine this, you're a disciple, you're standing there, you're out in the middle of nowhere, Jesus takes these loaves and these fishes, he breaks them up, and he hands you enough basically to feed you, probably not even enough really to feed you. Certainly I'm thinking about what is there, and I'm thinking if he broke that up among 12 guys and handed me my portion, I'm looking at that dinner and saying that ain't enough for me. And so you're standing there, and, and he hands you these things. And you got just enough food in your hands to feed you. And Jesus hands it out. And, and, and he's standing there looking at you. And you're looking at Jesus and you're saying, are they still behind me? Are all those people still waiting behind me to be fed? And Jesus says, yeah, they're, they're all still back there. Well, what do we do? Are they gone yet? <laughs> you know, maybe if I stand here long enough and don't do anything, maybe the people will disappear. But they're not going anywhere. There's hungry people back there. And in churches, and in, you know, maybe it's a community thing for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be cross-lane. I don't know what it is, but God's calling you to something, 
It's not going away. Youth ministry in this church is not going away. Ark Park's not going away. Ministries in this church, not going away. We got people to win to Christ. So there's always stuff to do. You know what they did next? And, and if we could just end the message here and have this as our takeaway, we'd be good. Uh, once, once he handed them the bread and the fish, they did what they knew how to do because that's all they could do. They didn't know how to feed over 5,000 people. They, they, knew how, they didn't know how to make that much food go out to so many people. There's no way. But they knew how to turn and serve food. They knew how to take what was in their hand and hand it to the person next to them. And so that's pretty much what they did. They simply did what they knew how to do. Verse 19, and the disciples gave them to the people. They did what they knew how to do, trusting that Jesus was going to come along and do something special. They did what they knew how to do, trusting that Jesus was going to come along and do what only Jesus knows how to do. Now, when you hear that internal nudging, when you feel that thing in you that says, I want you to serve, I want you to sign up, I want you to fill out that form, or I want you to, you know, to go on that trip, I want you, when, when, when you feel that thing that says, I want you to step outside of your comfort zone and do this thing that I want you to do, and you've got all kinds of excuses, and there's all kinds of reasons that you can come up with why that's not a good idea. Our responsibility, every single time we feel that, is to just do what we know how to do. And then God comes along, and God does what only God can do, and that's when magic happens. The tension you feel, and the fear that you feel, that that's your faith. And that is God saying, I want to take your faith muscles, and I want to stretch them out, and I want to make them bigger, and I want to teach you things that you yet don't know. I want to show you all the, you know, the, I'm thinking right now of the, the Aladdin song in, in Aladdin when he says, you know, I, I want to show you all this stuff, all the things that you'll see. You know, that's what God's wanting to say. He's, There's so much I want to show you and teach you, but you've got to step into some of this. It's not just about insecurity. It's bigger than that. It's your faith. God is trying to make your faith big. God's working on your faith. He cares about your faith and my faith. It's a big deal to God. What's, what's at stake is not simply some ministry that needs help, even though around here we have ministries that need help. That's not just what's at stake. God is saying specifically to you and to me, look, when I'm calling you to these things, I'm doing it, yes, because the ministry needs some help, but I'm also doing it because I want to do something in you. The issue is that God wants to do a big thing in you. And so it's our responsibility to say, okay, I'll do what I can do, and I'm going to trust you, God, to just come along and do what only you can do. You look anywhere in the world where God is doing something, anywhere in the world, look at people who are, are doing something big for God every single time, and if you drill down on the stories that you would find in this church and in churches all around the country and in other parts of the world, missions and, and people and you drill down far enough, what you're going to find every single time is somebody who said, God, I can't, but you can. And so I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do, and I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm trusting you to come along behind what little I'm offering here and what little I've got to give, and I'm trusting you to come behind it and make it a really big thing. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when it came time for me to be the preacher at this church, I can't tell you how real this is for my life at that time. Because I kept thinking to myself, Man, I, I, am, I do not have what it takes to pastor a church. I had people telling me I didn't have what it took to pastor a church. But, but I knew that the church needed help, 
And I knew that God wanted to stretch me and take me to places and, and do things in me and show me things that I'd never seen before. And so I said, okay, God, I, I, I'm scared to death, and this is all I got. This is all I got. And God said, look, that's all I'm asking for. Look, nobody understands the shortcomings of this pastor more than this pastor, okay? But nobody understands the depth and, and willingness of God to go so far for someone like me. Nobody understands that more than me. He wants to do that for you. He wants to show you what he can do in your world when you give him what little bit you've got to offer. Verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets uh, basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So this is a massive amount of people. And the disciples didn't walk away saying, well, we ought to start a business. You know, they didn't walk away all full of themselves thinking, man, look what we did. We're going to do a catering thing. They did what anyone who experiences this kind of dynamic does. They, they say to themselves, we didn't do that. I don't know how that happened. One minute I'm holding stuff in my hands, looking at over 5,000 people, wondering how in the world is all this going to come out. And the next thing I know, we're picking up leftovers, putting them back in the baskets, because that little bit fed that many people. And what they would say is, but all I did was walk and hand out food, and somewhere along the line, something miraculous happened, and I can't even explain it even to this day, but I know God showed up. And now Jesus was doing this miracle. See, all this was to teach his disciples. I, I don't, it was about hungry people. I think it was about that. I think Jesus did have compassion on hungry people. But I think Jesus knew, I'm about to turn this whole deal over to 12 guys, and they are not ready. And I've got to get them ready. And I've got to show them what's next for them. I've got to teach them that I'm not always going to be here, and it's going to be up to them. And I've got to get them to the place where they're just willing to give me what they've got and trust me to take what they give me to make something good out of it. So as soon as lesson 101 is over, that was lesson 101 for the disciples, now we step into lesson 201. Verse 22, immediately, and that's a very important word because these two stories are related, okay? One happens right after the other and these two things are connected. Jesus made the disciples, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Which would be very interesting to watch Jesus dismiss a crowd after he's just healed everybody and fed everybody, right? Okay, we're done here. You guys can all go home. And they're saying, no, we, <laughs> we just got something to eat. You've been taking care of us. You've been feeding us. This is working out pretty good for us. We're just going to hang out here if you don't mind. And Jesus says, no, I really, I need you to go. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. 201 is now in session. So now these guys are rowing across the lake. And some of these guys are like professional boatsmen, okay? They, they're good at this. And they're out in the middle of the lake, and the, the Bible, the way the Bible reads, they're rowing on the lake, and they're not moving. Okay, it's, it's like... A, 
if you ever seen a rowing machine in a, in a workout facility that doesn't go anywhere, you just keep rowing, you stay in the same place? That's what's going on with these guys. They're like, Jesus, you know, this is wonderful. We're getting a workout, but we're not really going anywhere. That's what's happening with the disciples at this point. Verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, that is, your Bible may say, shortly before dawn. So they've been out, they've been out on this boat all night, okay? It's been a long day. They've gone into the night. They, this is, you know, they, this is kind of hairy for them. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, what is the word? Terrified. Listen, there may be times that you think, I can't do that. I am terrified. I'm not going to get up in front of all those people and say that. I'm terrified to be in front of people. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. I just want to point out to you, this is the disciples we name our kids after these guys, right? In, in some religious traditions, they make saints out of them, like they call them, you know, St. Matthew, St. Mark. These are, these are the venerables. These are the guys we hold up. These are the great ones, right? I just want to point out to you the credibility of Scripture because if I was writing this story in Matthew, this we're finding this in the, in the book of Matthew, Matthew makes these, I mean, as he tells this story, the disciples aren't looking real suave and debonair right now, okay? They don't look real good right now. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear, okay? If you were writing your own story about your experiences with Jesus, you may have been terrified and you may have thought Jesus was a ghost, but I doubt seriously you would ever write it down. I love the fact that they write down exactly what they went through and they don't make themselves look good here. I mean, they actually look kind of bad here. So if you're ever talking to people and they say, that Bible's just a bunch of stories. No, 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 look here. <laughs> I want to show you. Matthew's telling this story, and he, tell, I mean, he says they were all afraid that this was a ghost. They were terrified. That's not, that's not something that somebody made up to convince a bunch of people of a story. These are some people telling the truth just as it happened. We were terrified, thought it was a ghost. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And in that moment, Peter has an insight. In that moment, Peter says, oh, I see what's going on. We just fed all those people. Jesus, there's a lesson. You knew the whole time. You knew you were going to do something with us. You knew you were taking us somewhere to teach us something special. I think I understand this. I think that we can do anything that Jesus asks us to do if we'll do what we know and trust him to do the rest. It's almost like Peter, it's almost like the light comes on for Peter. And so he decides to test his theory and listen to what happens. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, and I'm really hoping it's you, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now this is important. Peter says, you know, I, I can't really have a good idea. And he says, look, I'm, I'm not, I can't just jump out of the boat and say that I'm trusting in Jesus because to be real honest with you that is not faith okay sometimes that is just pure stupidity there have been a lot of great ideas that got launched under the premise of I'm just going to jump out and trust Jesus okay that's can I just tell you that's not necessarily a good idea to just have your own idea and jump and run with it and say I'm just trusting Jesus you know, someone walk up to you, why are you doing that? Well, I had a great idea, and I'm just trusting Jesus. There's one thing missing in that equation. You know what it is? The, the one thing missing is Jesus didn't ask you to do it. Jesus didn't tell you to do it. 
there have been some great ministry um, endeavors attempted and failed because whoever was trying to do it just had a great idea and said, well, I'm just going to trust Jesus for that. They never really bothered to see if Jesus wanted that to be done. They never actually heard Jesus say, hey, you know, I'd really like to see that particular thing attempted. And so they run headlong into this great idea that they've got. Just, and, and it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds good. Well, I'm just trusting Jesus. And, and Jesus is standing there saying, you know what? If you would ask me, if you would check with me a little bit, I might tell you it's not a good idea to do that. Peter understood the lesson. And the lesson is whenever the Savior asks me to do something that I am incapable of doing, whenever he invites me out of my comfort zone, whenever he invites me to do things that don't make any sense and, and that might even be embarrassing for me, whenever he invites me to do something that's bigger than myself, bigger than my capability, I simply need to do what I can do and he will do what only he can do. So he says, Jesus, come on, invite me. Invite me. If it's you, call me out on the water. If it's you, invite me out there where you are. Now the guys in the boat have to be thinking to themselves, if you want to go out there, just go on out there, Peter. But Peter's smart enough to know, no, I want him to tell me. I want him to invite me out there because I'm putting it all together. That, that I've only got so much to offer, but, but if, if he's out there and he calls me, then good things can happen. So Jesus says, come on. Verse 20, 29, come on, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Do you know what Peter did? He did the same thing that when, we, uh, when he passed out the fish and the bread, he did the same thing on the water that he did with the fish and the bread. He said, I don't know how to walk on water, but I know how to get out of a boat. And so I, know, I don't know how to walk on water, but I know how to walk, and I know that Jesus has invited me out there, and so that's where I'm going. I know that Jesus will do what only he can do. That is the Christian experience to a great extent. I dare you. I dare you to start praying the Peter prayer. Lord, please invite me out of my comfort zone. God, I want you to use me in the lives of other people, but I don't want to come up with an idea. I want the assurance that you are inviting me, and when you invite me, I will do what I can do. I can do what little bit I can do, and I will give you all of what little I have, and I will trust you to do what only you can do. For some of you, he's already inviting you right now. For some of you, it would mean leaving this church. For some of you, it would mean you know, getting involved in something. For some of you, it would mean getting involved in some community thing. For some of you, it would mean having a conversation. Or, or, or um, you know, for some of you, it would mean getting involved in Art Park or in, in the high school department. You think, well, I, you know, I'm not, I don't listen to the right music. I'm not cool enough to hang out with high school kids. I don't know the lingo. I can't do the texting thing. I can't keep my cell phone from going off when it's not supposed to. I, you know, I, I, it doesn't make any sense for me to, I'm not cool. What if they ask me the wrong question? What if I don't know the answer? Let, let me just answer that for you, okay? If they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, you know what you tell them? I don't know. It's okay to not know. I get asked questions all the time about the Bible, about God, about stuff, and I just say... I don't know. We'll have to ask God when we get to heaven because I, I don't have a clue how to answer that question. And Jesus says, come on. 
You know how to fill out a form. You know how to walk down the hall. You know how to be available to kids. You know how to smile. You know how to love. You know how to accept people. You know how to take some little kid that's scared to death when he doesn't know which end is up and he's just gotten horrible news and put your arm around him and say, hey, I'm here if you want to talk. You know how to do that. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, he was reminded of what he couldn't do, wasn't he? He he realized at that point, "Uh uh-oh, there's some stuff I can't do here. And he got all fixated on what he couldn't do. He was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, there's that word again, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, you of little faith. This is all about faith. This isn't, hey, I've got, you know, this isn't Jesus saying, hey, I got another idea for a miracle. I got another way I can show off for people. That's not what Jesus is doing. This is an agenda. I'm trying to teach you guys to trust me because I'm going to be gone soon and I'm going to hand this whole thing over to you and you've got to be able to trust me. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And I think you could put on the end of that, why did you doubt me? Because you started looking at waves, and when you started looking at waves, you began to doubt me. The trust you had in me disappeared when you saw these waves. Now, I don't think Jesus is chastising Peter. There are 11 guys in that boat, and I think if Jesus was going to preach a sermon at anybody, it would have been at the 11 that are still in the boat. I don't think he's mad at at Peter. I don't think he's upset with Peter. I think... I think he grabbed Peter's hand, and I think it sounded an awful lot the way we sound as parents sometimes when we say, you were so close. You were so close. You had it. Why did you doubt? Peter, you were right there. You had it. Have you ever felt that for your kids where you thought to yourself, oh, man, if they just just pressed on just a little more, they'd have been there. They'd have had it. They'd experienced it. I was hoping I think that's the, the disappointment, if you want to call it that, that, that Jesus felt for Peter. Oh, Peter, you were right there on the edge. Verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. We suspected it before. You know, that whole bread and fish thing, we, it kind of had us wondering at that point, you know, maybe he really is the Son of God. But there is no doubt in our mind, absolutely, without question, you are the Son of God, and they worshiped him. Now, if you are enjoying Cross Lane, if you come to this church and you love coming here, you love the people, you love the experience, if, if you are enjoying Cross Lane, and you're thankful for this church, you are benefiting from people who have lived out this principle. Any place that you see God doing something, this principle is in play. There have been people who have said, God, I only have this little bit, but what little I have, I give it to you. I don't know how to do very much, but I know how to do this, and I'm going to give it to you and trust you to do the rest of it. So here's the question. Where is God nudging you? Where do you feel God's elbow? This isn't an issue of if you don't do it, the ministry will go unmet or whatever. This, it's not even about that. It's about God saying, hey, I want to do something in you. And so you've got to throw your feet over the side of the boat and take a step. And even though you don't know the first thing about walking on water, you say, God, I, I know how to walk. I don't know how to walk on water. That's your department. And Jesus says, well, you just are taking steps. I'll make the water thing happen would you be willing to do 
what you know how to do and trust God to do what only God knows how to do. Because if you do, you are going to experience God in a brand new way. And as you experience God in that brand new way, your faith is going to be pumped up. Your faith is going to be inflated. Your faith, you will be the one that tells stories to other people. You will be the one that other people look at and say, man, I want a faith like that. What do I have to do? And when they start asking you and you start talking, one of the things that's going to pour out of you is personal ministry. I got involved. I took a step. I didn't know, but God came behind it and he did great things. And I didn't want to necessarily do it, but I said, I'm going anyway. And when I did, God came in, and it's been miraculous, the things that God has done in my life. This will grow your faith like crazy. You do this, and you will see your faith grow up in ways that you never dreamt possible. But it all starts with you being very humble, and you taking what little you've got and saying, God, I don't understand it. I don't know why you would want this. Listen, I, I say this every day of my life in ministry. I don't know how you can take what little I've got, God, and you can use it, but here it is. And it's, I give it to you. And it's broken, and it's battered, and it's beaten, and, 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 and there's things that I don't know and I don't understand. There's stuff I can't get on top of, but God, here's what I got. Take what I've got, take my love for you, and do something with it. And God says, you know what, I'll make that deal. Because when you offer to me what little you've got, I take what only I can do. And I make magic happen. Personal ministry. God will use it to grow up our faith. Let's pray together. Father, you are so unbelievably good to us. And you are so patient. You are driven by your love for us. And Father, I think sometimes we, we think that you're out to make our world miserable. Or you're out to be the cosmic killjoy. I think sometimes we think that you just, you don't want us to have any fun. And God, that is not, you invented fun. You created laughter and you created smiles. That is all your idea. And Father, I pray that we would see today that we smile most when we are fully engaged in what you're doing. We smile most when we feel your presence in our life and we feel your presence most when we take what we have and we offer it and say, okay, God, this is yours. And then you come and you do that thing you do and magic happens. Father, I pray for the people in this room this morning who who feel you nudging them. They hear it. They know there's something going on and you're calling them. And I pray that they would take the step. They would take what little they've got. They'd offer it up in your direction. And then God, I beg you to come make magic happen. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.